So, you know, the main two people on this podcast are two grown adults who claim to know a lot about anime. So imagine the weirdness when we sat down to discuss what we should review on this podcast, where we boast about, you know, 80s and 90s anime, that we came up with The Cat Returns. Weirdly enough, neither one of us realized that this was made in the 2000s, or at least released in the 2000s. This movie came out in 2002. So this is a bit of a weird outlier, something that I've been thinking about tweaking with the show for a little bit now as we kind of evolve over this first season. The movie did come out in 2002, and I've kind of been tinkering around with the idea of if this show or the movie is over 20 years old to qualify for it. Because that means as we progress, we'll be able to continuously have more and more material that still feels like it's a little bit older. I don't know how you guys feel about that. We're still kind of playing with the idea. But this was basically just a fluke. We we just didn't do enough research on this. We assumed that because it was a hand-drawn Ghibli film that it was going to be from the 90s and we were wrong. Anyway... Since we didn't want to waste an episode, and we both really do like this movie, we figured we'd have you listen to it anyway. So without further ado, let's hop into this week's episode on The Cat Returns. (sighs) Attention everybody, we have made a mistake. I just want you all to know... um, a little bit behind the scenes of what goes on here we do kind of talk and discuss what we want to watch nuri and myself who is here say hi nuri hi <laughs> so on episodes where it's me and nuri we like to kind of go back and forth we have a running list of shows that we would like to eventually do and we just got to find out where they fit in this week we've been kind of sandwiched between two recordings of the cosmo cast um i know that this will come out after those because we like to prepare things in advance but anyway just as some behind the scenes we've been kind of rushed with um with some other work so we wanted something to take it easy this week for this recording so we looked at some of our options and we wanted to do a ghibli film because ghibli films are fun but we also wanted to do one that was a bit more light-hearted so we picked the cat returns we both watch the movie we both get ready to come and record and then it dawns on us that this is from 2002 which is not the 80s or 90s. So please forgive us for bending the rules ever so slightly for your two exhausted hosts that have been putting in a lot of work in this podcast and elsewhere. So just bear with us for this one um, potentially not only time that we kind of break those rules a little bit, but we are talking about The Cat Returns today. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. And not only that, I mean, to be fair, it's not... It's still, at this point, 20 years old, but it's just not from the 80s or 90s. Yeah, and it's still, it's it's a Ghibli film, so it has that charm to it. So I think that it still fits in with the vibe and the aesthetic that we're going for. It's just a little bit weird that, I thought this movie was older, to be completely honest with you. I thought it was like 99, maybe? Yeah, I think it might... I think the reason we think that is because it's based on Whisper on of a Heart, which is, like, even older. It's, it is? I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. Oh, it is a spinoff of Whisper of the Heart. Oh. Um, yeah. The Baron is from Whisper of the Heart. I don't remember a whole lot about that movie. 
so I will probably have to go back and watch that now. Um, I didn't realize that that was ah, weird. Anyway, um, but yeah, I because like maybe I'm misremembering, but I swear that I had a VHS tape that had like previews of coming out movies that had this on it. It, it was the Sailor Moon movie. That's what you're thinking of because the Sailor Moon movie had this as a preview. Preview of The Cat Returns and then like another one that was something in Wonderland or something like that because I remember before Sailor Moon would come on they would have the preview and I remember the, the sound of the song for the other movie that like had like other it was another cat thing because like th these two kids would be scratched by cats and they would turn into cats and stuff like that it was just this bizarre I, I never saw it but I can still hear the sound of the the trailer music in my head. Okay, so I'm not crazy. Like it, it there. I did have a VHS that had this on it, which is probably because VHSs really actually lived for a lot longer than people remember them to. They were making VHSs well into the mid twenty. Uh, 20 uh, sorry, the mid two thousands. So they they did stick around for a lot longer than most people remember. So that's probably my bad. I just assumed that because I had a VHS with this preview on it that it was older than it was. The point is, is that it's still a very nostalgic movie. 2002 was, like we said, 20 years ago at the time of recording of this. So it's still old. And a lot of people are getting triggered by me calling things only 20 years old ancient. But that's the joke. It's like a hyperbole. It's it's like a obviously over-exaggeration of that. So Please stop being mad at that. But anyway, um, this movie is a Studio Ghibli movie, and it is often misremembered as being a Miyazaki movie, but it's actually by uh, Hiroyuki Morita, who is another person that um, is part of the Ghibli family. Um, this was their only time that they got to direct a movie so far as of this recording. Might change in the future, but... Um, yeah, a lot of people just assume that because it's a Ghibli film that it's Miyazaki, which isn't true. There's actually a few films from their collection that um, were directed by other people because it was a collaborative effort. Right. I mean, obviously, he's the most infamous of the directors, and he has spearheaded a lot of the movies, especially the ones that people consider iconic, like Spirited Away, um you know, Howl's Moving Castle as well. There's also, what was the other one? Totoro. Um, um, I also, you know, he directed those ones. I don't know. Did he do Mononoke as well? I think he did. Yes. So, you know, he, Ghibli is a studio. It's not just Hayao Miyazaki's personal animation team. <laughs> so they do have other people doing directing and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I feel like it still has that ghibli polish where it's recognizable as a ghibli film but the, the tone and stuff of this is much different than i think it should than most hayao miyazaki films in a way yeah it, it's really hard to nail what exactly feels different about this movie than the other ones but i think when i like if i really think about it it's more about the like there's not as much of a sense of impending not really doom but like something bad is going to happen because like a lot of ghibli films that are under miyazaki have kind of a build up to where there you know that there's going to be an obvious turning point to where like 
um, take Spirited away, for example, her parents get turned into pigs and she becomes an indentured servant for this bathhouse and things just are like constantly getting worse for her. Um, but she's growing as a person and then it hits a turning point to where towards the end where she realizes she needs to become selfless and it's kind of the same in a lot of the other movies. This movie is much more of a lighthearted adventure. Like there's senses of danger there and there's senses of her losing herself. And that's kind of the whole point of the film is to be confident in yourself. But I don't feel that same sense of like doom that is accompanied in some of the other ones that are directed by Miyazaki. It's much more... Mm -hmm fluffy and light and um whimsical i guess would be a fun word to use for that well i think with kind of to build off of that in a similar vein with miyazaki films kind of it's not a sense of impending doom necessarily but it's this kind of bittersweet energy to it because his always seem to end on kind of like a bittersweet note there's obviously exceptions but, like, I think especially of, like, Mononoke at the end when, you know, he, he, like, there's, like, that kind of separation. There's always a separation at the end of his movies mm-hmm. where it's, like, that's, like, implied that they'll never see each other again, which is, you know, part of life. You're going to meet people who are, who have a huge impact on you that you'll never see again. I also think of that with like Totoro because in Totoro at the end like he leaves and even though he's like in the area or whatever it it's very much they don't necessarily need him anymore spirited away at the end Sen leaves and you know she says goodbye to Haku and it's like implied that they'll never see each other anymore because she's grown up and she doesn't need to have that whimsical world that he's a part of anymore not necessarily grown up but she's you know learned her lesson and this one you know it, it doesn't end the same way it's very much like oh yeah you'll see us anytime you want you can come back and you know yeah Miyazaki's films seem to be like a hard lesson learned and this is more of a, like a very gentle soft lesson that she learns right well not only that like I feel like from the beginning you know what the lesson for her is she's very timid she's very shy and you're like she needs to learn how to stand up for herself Mm-hmm. versus Miyazaki movies you don't necessarily know what the lesson is until like halfway through right Ghibli I think are known for their I, I call it quiet films because especially when you look at the original Japanese I watched the dub for Cat Returns because I didn't want to read subtitles <laughs> when I think of like Kiki the original Japanese of Kiki it's a very very quiet movie like in the dub they added a lot of like because in the in the original uh Gigi the cat doesn't talk they added that in the dub I forgot about that he doesn't talk at all and so in a lot of these scenes in the dub where she's talking to the cat she's just talking to herself which hey you know what I talk to myself all the time I also talk to my cat who doesn't talk back you know And so, and I also noticed that in uh, Spirited Away, if you watch the original Japanese, it's also very quiet. There are long stretches of time where there's just nothing being said. There's just the music and there's just the scenery. And so they're very relaxing films and kind of introspective in that way. And 
Cat Returns kind of has some of those moments as well. I, I'm kind of curious. I wonder what the original Japanese would be like, if it'd be even quieter. I think with this movie, because I, I, I also watched the dub for convenience. Don't, don't hate. But I don't think that it would be like that in this because it's very clear that the animals can talk and when they start talking because there are parts of the movie where she tries to talk to some of the animals and they don't talk back like i think her name isn't her name yuki the white cat there's a point where there's like a flashback where you would expect her to talk but she just meows instead so there's instances in this movie where she there's clearly silence or non-talking that happens so i i don't think that they changed anything like that in this film it doesn't seem i don't see where they'd be able to right i mean it's possible i just noticed that with other ghibli movies that they do make it a lot louder (laughs) well it's to be fair it's because disney does the dubbing and disney is one of those companies like that don't come for me again don't come for me based on my opinion on this but disney's one of those companies where they feel like their audience especially if it's going to be really young kids are going to by default be dumb i noticed that a lot with like disney channel shows like the humor that they use is like super exaggerated and over the top and sometimes unnecessarily crazy because they think if they're not being zany and outrageous at every moment that it's not going to keep a kid's attention but there are tons of kids out there that enjoy movies like the the Ghibli movies. Thankfully, they didn't change a ton. And it was more just noise that they added to it instead of like some kind of over-the-top voice acting or editing it or whatever. But uh, that is definitely a Disney thing. Like Disney doesn't seem to have a lot of faith in its young audiences. Like it's really young audiences, which animation is typically aimed after. This movie came out in 2002, like we said before. It has a very 2002 voice cast for the dub. We were talking about that before we started. It's got Anne Hathaway. Tim Curry was in this movie the entire time I was watching the movie. So Tim Curry plays the Cat King. The entire time I was watching this film, every time the Cat King was on, I just, I felt like it it was familiar. And it's because it was Tim Curry. But Tim Curry does this amazing job where he is like a chameleon and he could just blend into all of these different roles. I had a, um, there's a meme that was going around that I had from like Facebook or Twitter where it was just, it was like a text conversation between two people. And one of them was like, I judge people based off of where they remember Tim Curry from. Like when I mentioned Tim Curry, what do you instantly think of? Me, Rocky Horror Picture Show. I don't know if this is going to make you very disappointed in me or not, but I instantly think of the smog monster from uh, Fern Gully. (laughs) Um, Why would I be disappointed? (laughs) Fern Gully is such a good movie. I'm going to I'm going to call my mom out here in 4K. My mom's favorite movie to watch when she's sad is Fern Gully. It's a really good movie and it's so underrated. It's one of those movies that Mm -hmm. that unfortunately came out when during the like disney renaissance era when they were releasing like all of their really iconic movies um and of course a lot of people were trying to cash in on that as well and they probably were here too but it kind of gets lost in the mix because there were so many 2d animated kids movies at the time but no i i remember watching that movie 
daily for a very long time and i i just absolutely adore it so when somebody says tim curry i think of the smog monster but he he just like blends into everything i mean that's valid he's just such a good voice actor yeah he's great like i mean like i said when i think of ferngully i think of my mom (laughs) so i totally think that's fine i'm i have no problem with you knowing where he's from from at least it's not like Home Alone 2 or something. <laughs> then I would be disappointed. I love Home Alone 2, don't get me wrong. But if that's the if that's your iconic Tim Curry role, then I don't know. Maybe watch more movies. Well, I also think of um, the TV It movie. But the only reason... Yeah, I, that's also valid. The only reason I think of it is, again, forgive me, because I... I can't remember who said it, but I'm almost positive that it was the Nostalgia Critic. And I know I I, I understand now in 2022 why it's not the greatest to support that man or any of his associates or most of his associates. Um, I don't want to be slanderous or anything, but like I think the Internet's kind of turned on them. But um, I think it was him that pointed out the scene. There's a scene in the It movie where they're at this um, library and they're having like a completely normal conversation because only these like these people that saw the clown when they were kids can see him now and he's like tormenting them but he's invisible to everybody else but he is up on this banister in the background just like cackling and jumping around and laughing and like rocking back and forth and just causing this ruckus and they're, the actors are having to ignore him doing that because they can't see him. And whoever I was watching, again, I think it was the, the Nostalgia Critic, um, was just like, it's like Tim Curry got his makeup done and wandered on the set in a scene that he wasn't supposed to be in. And the actors were just trying to be professional and ignore him and continue with the scene while he's like causing this huge scene in the background. But that's that's another thing that I think of him as, as Pennywise the Clown. The, the remakes were really good, but the original, with all of its campy nonsense, is probably going to be one of the more iconic roles that I've, ha- I've seen him in. But, um, yeah, there, there's also, yeah. like, Kristen Sutherland and Kristen Bell in this movie. Yes! There's so many, like, like it felt almost like a... Because, again, I think, yeah, Disney did the dub here. So, you know, I think of Anne Hathaway and I think of Princess Diaries, of course. Kristen Bell, I also think, was in a couple Disney movies. Like, it's just like, it's just like Disney called in all their people on retainer. They're just like, hey, we're doing a movie and you're going to record a voice for it. And they were all like, okay, cool. Oh, and then uh, I remember, I didn't recognize the name, but when I saw the face, I knew who Judy Greer was, who played Yuki. So there's a lot of memorable people in this dub i'm not one to remember a lot of voice actors for the japanese side of things like i only know a couple by name so i don't know if any of them are super iconic but they all have wikipedia pages so they've done something right (laughs) right they all have their own wikipedia article so that's that's all you can say really that's more than what i have so to get into what exactly this movie is about, this movie follows Haru, who is a teenager. I don't think it ever says how old she is, but she's in either junior or high school. It's not really important. Yeah, I think she's I think she's 15. 
I can't remember if it says or not, but it implies that she's in either junior or high school, but, but it doesn't really matter. But um, she, they spend a lot of time just kind of setting her up as like a very ordinary person. Like she plays some sports. I believe it's lacrosse. I is that a lacrosse mitt thing? Yeah, it's a it's a lacrosse okay. hook. I don't I don't know sports. I'm gay. I don't know sports. Sorry. I'm gay and I know sports, but that's the difference between gay women and gay men. <laughs> gay women. <laughs> I'm not gonna go it's, there. It's the <laughs> truth. Is it not true? <laughs> Listen, gay women and gay men solidarity. I know sports. You don't. I appreciate the help. I assumed it was lacrosse. I was. I was right, but I wasn't confident. Right. Well, not okay. I'll be honest. Gay women know obscure sports. I don't know shit about football. I can tell you all about lacrosse. I can tell you about, you know, rugby. Well, that's not really obscure, but it's obscure to Americans. I can tell you about, you know, freaking curling and all that shit. Don't know shit about actual, like, televised sports in America. I've seen a lot of rugby. I don't know any of the rules, but I like watching it. It's interesting. <laughs> I was You like watching it for another reason. Hey, it's it's I'm participating, okay? I'm I'm helping out. I'm doing my part. But anyway, back to the plot. Um, so she's just she's a super ordinary girl, and that's kind of the point is that she's not really popular. She's not a loser either. She's like middle of the pack, just regular kind of girl, which is part of the juxtaposition of when we get later into them treating her like she's royalty and wanting her to become royalty. How weird it is that the most average girl now is being chosen to be this princess and stuff like that. But essentially, right at the opening of the movie, her and her friend are walking home from school and there's a cat that's carrying like a little like present box. This I, I don't understand. This cat has the wherewithal to not only understand what a stoplight is, but to understand how cars work and how crosswalks work and still almost manages to get run over. Like... It stops and looks both ways and still almost gets ran over because cats, I guess. Um, but she saves it. Well, I guess I think it's because the implication, I, the, what I got from it was that, um, you know, the cat follows the rules of traffic. But because people don't consider animals like pedestrians that the other people don't consider the cat's following the laws be, to be fair because they're like oh there's nobody at the crosswalk i can go through they don't realize that the cat is was waiting at the crosswalk i guess it was it was weird it was definitely weird i'm i'm trying to <laughs> excuse it it might just be bullshit so he she saves him getting run over she uses her lacrosse stick and it gets smashed up in the process but she saves his cat, and they kind of roll into the bushes, and the cat stands up and says, thank you, I'm very grateful for you helping me, and walks away on two feet. Like, this is this is a recurring thing in the movie that these cats walk upright like humans, but it every time I see it, it's the most jarring thing. Like, there are so many whimsically charming, beautiful aspects of this movie, but two, like, up walking on two-leg, upright, bipedal cats it freaks me out. And it never will not freak me out. I mean, the thing is, is that they're bipedal, which normally is fine. Like, I mean, there's been plenty of movies with anim the more 
cats. I mean, one of my favorite movies is Cats Don't Dance. But they they change their posture so they don't look so much like cats. Yeah, these just are, these are straight up like correctly proportioned cats just standing on two legs. Yes. Yeah, like in Cats Don't Dance, like they change their anatomy slightly so they aren't quite so cat-like. I mean, yes, they still have paws and they still, you know, have tails and everything and whatnot, but like they they don't feel as cat-like because like if you ever see like their arms are in better proportion. They have actual shoulders and arms. Cats don't really have shoulders. No. And so in Cat Returns, they don't have that kind of, like, what we consider a standardized, like, humanoid shape. <laughs> They're still very cat-like, and it's a, it's almost, like, borderline Uncanny Valley. It is super Uncanny Valley, and it's very hard for me to look at. But, like, eventually I get used to it after seeing it, but, like, these first couple scenes where this happens is so jarring. Yeah, so she saves his cat and runs off. She kind of is stunned by it talking. I mean, like, it finally a movie showing an actual, like, real reaction to if you heard an animal talking for the first time after spending your entire life thinking they can't talk. Um, because she is very dazed, confused, and freaked out by this talking cat. Yeah, well, apparently, like, I, I realized this later, I guess she's always had the ability to talk to cats. Like, it's not that cats can talk just in general, it's that they can talk to her. Yeah, because her mom brings it up in the next scene. Like, her mom's like, yeah, when you were a little kid, you could talk to cats. And there was, like, a there's a scene with the stray cat, which ends up being one of the main characters later on that she saves, and she gives it her, like, fish cracker things so that she can... Um, the stray cat doesn't die or whatever starve and but like the, this is the weird thing that i was talking about before where her mom's like yeah you've always been able to talk to cats but in this scene the cat's just meowing at her she understands what the cat's saying but the cat isn't speaking english from the viewer's perspective so it was a little bit weird yeah it might be that that's a, that might be the mom's perspective yeah i get yeah because it was the mom's flashback so that might be why they didn't have actual the actual cat talking and it was probably also to prolong the secretiveness because um, Yuki is the one that is like talking to her like in a ghostly spectral voice to help her find the cat bureau here in a little bit. And it's like a mystery for a little while of who that voice was. So I guess it was also to like further suspend that because if we heard her voice, even if Anne Hathaway was trying to sound youthful, we probably could connect the dots a little bit quicker that that was Yuki that said that. Yeah. As obvious as it already was, anyway. I think the next scene is that, like, she's visited by other cats who are like, oh, thank you for saving the prince. We want to, you know, you, we want you to come to the cat world and become his bride. And I'm like, that's a big leap, bro. No, so that's jumping ahead a little bit. So the first night that they, they come and they do like their little parade down the street. Oh my god, the parade, I forgot. They bring by the Cat King and the Cat King thanks her and says that they've got a bunch of gifts planned for her. Yeah, so they the Cat King tells them, oh, we've got a bunch of gifts for you. But because they're cats and they think like cats, they give her cat gifts. So she gets, they, they like fill her yard with cattails and they give her, they like plant catnip on her because they think that she'd like catnip. And um, what are some of the other gifts that they give? Mice, that's... Yeah, uh, no, mice. It's mice that they give her. 
and they give her a bunch of lacrosse sticks to make up. That's that's the that's the one that stood up out to me because lacrosse sticks aren't a cat thing, and I understand that they that she broke her stick while trying to help him, so it makes sense there. But like the rest of the gifts are very cat things, but except for the lacrosse sticks. So that one stuck out a little bit as far as the whole gifts. I mean, if that was if that was the only gift, that'd be great. Right. But then I think they try to up it to be like, we're gonna replace what you missed, and then we're you know go above and beyond with trying to encourage you to be cool with us because you seem to be cool with cats and it's like yeah dog i'm a crazy cat lady too i don't want my cats to bring me things especially like ruining your yard i know (laughs) and getting you chased by stray cats yeah my cats are purely indoor and so like i've never had to worry about my cats bringing me dead animals like some people have I would not be cool with my cats just dropping off a bunch of mice and, you know, catnip and whatever. I mean, like, I understand that the, it's like appreciation, but I'd be like, hey, man, you got me my stick. Can we stop now? They wanted, they wanted her to feel appreciated, but it just, and it it's your basic, like, misunderstanding shenanigans, but it's cute. It's. It is here. It's it it uh, at this point it is endearing because it's like oh they really do appreciate what she did for them, and again as it, I'm like I would love for my cats to appreciate me rather than just you know demand more of me because they're spoiled rotten little assholes. <laughs> well, um, after she spends all day just dealing with these like very life burdening gifts and the little assistant cat who is my favorite character just because his little voice is so cute. And he's just so, like, dumb, and I love him. But he shows up, and he's like, bet you're real happy with all of our gifts. Like, don't you love all of our gifts? And she's kind of pissed off, rightfully so, about it. And kind of vents to him. And so about, like, them not understanding humans, and they're thinking of her as a cat. So his next logical leap is to marry her off to the prince. And when she says no, he's like, don't worry, we'll come and get you later tonight. It's no big deal. Like, completely ignoring anything that she says, like, any kind of indication she's giving to him. It's a very bizarre scene. Yeah, like, she's like, no, I I don't want to marry him. Oh, we also forgot to mention she has a crush on a guy at school. Oh, yeah, that's such a small plot point. It comes up at the very beginning of the movie and the very end of the movie. Well, like, you know, she has a crush on a boy at school and like he has a girlfriend. And so she's just like, oh, no, I'll never have a chance. And I'm like, girl, you're in like middle school or high school. Believe me, there will be a chance. You guys will break up and make up and everything for the rest of forever. She has this guy that she has a crush on. And when he's just like, oh, you know, you want to we will marry you to the prince. And she's like, no, like I doesn't she like have a moment where she's just like thinking about like the guy she likes and i'm like girl you have other priorities to worry about other than this being you know this would interrupt (laughs) your crush on a dude it's a cat yeah it's it's such a weird leap like for them to go from just giving her gifts to her like being disappointed in the gifts so like the best gift we can give you is making you our princess (laughs) okay but um go off i guess i mean interesting choice there but sure she's obviously very distraught over this so she 
hears a voice, and we, we touched on this earlier, she hears a voice that tells her to go find the cat bureau, and um, that a white cat at the crossroads will be able to help her, which sounds like a bunch of nonsense to us, but I guess the crossroads is like a like a hangout spot, like a like a shopping area. I don't know if that's a real place in Japan or if it's just there for this movie, but... Well, I think the term is like, I, I mean... I know in my life there's a there's like a shopping like a, a strip mall next to where I live that's also called the Crossroads at you know such and such I'm not going to dox myself <laughs> the Crossroads at local town you know so it might just be where it's a shopping center and that's just called the Crossroads Yeah the the voice tried to make it sound like more mysterious than it was like meet the white cat at the crossroads like she could she might as well just said go to the mall and find the fat cat like that that also would have sufficed <laughs> but she wanted to sound more mysterious given who we know the voice is eventually it might just be where she just saw the sign the crossroads and she thinks that's what it's that's like the best way to refer to it rather than being like go to the mall <laughs> just go to the mall there's a cafe where this fat cat sits and he'll help you out so of course she goes and finds him um and that uh, he she insults him by sitting on him and then making fat jokes which that's the first thing i do when i meet anybody is to talk about how fat they are but anyway well to be fair the thing when she sits on him reminds me of my cat because when i go to sit on my chair or something like that 90 percent of the time my cat is there of course because he's an asshole <laughs> and so i will also like sit on him in a way i will I, I will give him warning i'll be like here comes the butt here comes the butt and he doesn't get up and so i'll have to like start to sit down and then the, finally he moves and he's also fat so i guess i'm kind of I, I can't throw any stones in this glass house i am also horrible i haven't owned a cat in over 10 years like growing up we had all cats and so like a lot of this feels familiar like yeah that's how you know jerk cats act all the time but I've had dogs for so long that it's hard it's hard to remember and go back to those nostalgic feelings because like I love my dogs so um I I didn't necessarily love the cats we had. <laughs> no, I I love cats. I've always loved cats and like I like literally my cats are my kids. Like Same. I do not plan on ever having actual human children. These Same. are my children already. <laughs> so like this movie felt very much like yes this is what it's like to deal with cats e including the weird gifts and the bizarre shit later you know like this this felt pretty accurate for me like i said like her sitting on the cat and being mean to him i also call my cat fat and i'm like get out of my chair asshole but she was looking for help so <laughs> you think she'd be a little bit nicer I mean, you can't be nice to cats. They will walk all over you. You have to assert authority. Bless. Bless that. <laughs> um, well, the cat agrees to help her eventually and kind of like leads her down like a bunch of alleyways and stuff until they get to this miniature version of where they were before, like this miniature shopping district. And um, this is where we meet Baron, who is our, um, I guess, main character other than Haru, like, he's our other main character. Uh, he, he's our deuterologist. He's our accompanying main character. And I I absolutely love Baron. One of my favorite Ghibli characters of all time. Just Uh-huh. He's just so, like, soft-spoken and polite and knowledgeable, but also will beat you over the head with a cane. 
and has like quick witted humor. Like I love the Baron. And that's like I feel like if it had been any other character in this movie, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it anywhere near as much. So I'm glad that the right combination of character design and writing and voice acting all came together to make this amazing character. I love him so much. Yeah. Me watching like I was like, this is a good movie for KRF and I to watch <laughs> because of Baron. Because furries. Technically, he's not a furry, though. He's a figurine. He's a collectible. But he also has a Toto, which is a raven? Some kind of blackbird? I think it's a raven. It's a raven. Okay, yeah, so he's got a raven um, friend, Toto, who is like a statue that comes to life. Because in this area that they're in, um, only two things come to life, but it's implied other things can. Because he says that when an artist puts their whole heart and soul into creating a work of art. If you bring it here, it will come to life. So I guess there's other things that we just didn't get to see that come to life in this area, like maybe other like statues or drawings of figurines or something. But these are our two that we get to witness because Muta is actually a real cat. He's not um, artwork or anything like that. He's a... No, he's an actual cat. Yeah, Muta's the big cat. I don't I don't know if we said that or not, but so we have Yeah, the, Muta is the big fat white cat. We have Baron, the gentleman figurine cat man, um, with fingers that freaks me out because everybody else has paws. Oh my god. <laughs> so yes. Okay, speaking of the anthropomorphic cats being weird and like kind of jarring, he the Baron has shoulders. So we talked about the shoulder thing. He has shoulders and his posture is much more humanoid than the other cats. But he, and he but he also has fingers, which he is different from the everyone else who has paws. And it is so horrible. I hate fingers. It's because he's not a cat. He's a figure. Of a cat. <laughs> That's the only way they could get a furry in this movie and not and be like, it's not technically a furry. He is not technically a furry anyway but yeah i so i was also very disturbed there's there's a few different scenes where they really point out that the other cats have paws and have to like really concentrate or go their way around not having opposable thumbs and fingers and then it'll be like the baron just like holding his hand out holding a sword or something and it's like oh weird holding a wine glass yeah. and shit but we also have, so we have Toto and Muta that are accompanying him and they have this like super cute scene where like, I really, for some reason I thought that they were going to like Alice in Wonderland her to be smaller. And I think that every time, but it, I don't know why I have later in the show, she does become smaller. And I guess I just thought that it happened now instead of later. So it's always so comical when she's like in this like miniature house and she's having to like squat because if she stands up, she'll like destroy the roof. And like Baron is serving her tea and sweets and things like that. But she's so big that the tea is just like one tiny sip for her. It's it's just a very humorous scene without calling too much attention to like, this is funny, guys. I, I super appreciate the scene. Yeah. It, it it it's it's very much not making it like slapsticky like a lot of humor will like if this had been an american show they would have like really nailed it in that she's so much bigger and they would have like had it be a much more overt mm -hmm. goof 
I like that, like you said, it's very, like, subtle the way that she's just like, oh, because she's trying to be polite. <laughs> she's just like, oh, yes, thank you for this, you know, tablespoon of tea. Thank you. And the cookies are, like, you know, cereal-sized <laughs> and stuff like that versus, you know, if it had been any other movie, I feel like they would have been, she would have been like, you know, do you got anything bigger or anything it's like that? It's so small. This won't fill me up at all. That's the kind of nonsense that an American show would have. Or it, or even it would just be like, you know, like she'd be sitting on a chair and it'd break under her weight and all this other shit. Like they would have really hammered at home. Really, it, it's a comical scene, but it's not played for laughs, but it's still funny. So it's kind of just, it's, a lot of Japanese humor is like that, but specifically Ghibli films have this, like, it's the juxtaposition of it all that is the humor. Like, it doesn't need to be drawn out or pointed out or made the focal point. It's just an amusing situation that is part of the plot, and it makes sense for the plot. So I, I really appreciated that part as well. But um, the cat's finder, big surprise, after... Baron decides that he's going to help her, and their plan is that he's going to go to the Cat Kingdom and clear all this up, and Muta's going to be her bodyguard. But before they can get any of that started, this, like, amalgamation of cats just, like, swoops in and kidnaps her. And there's this super... It's beautifully done, but it looks really bizarre. Just, like, cats teleporting around the city in this, like, blobby amalgamation that's made up of a ton of, like, smaller cats... Yes, it's almost like, um, I don't know what the, the word is. I, I don't know what the, the type of fish it is, but the ones that, like, move in, like, schools. That's what it reminds me of. So they kidnap her, and then Muta eventually catches up to him, so he gets to go along with her as, like, her bodyguard at the expense of leaving behind Baron and Toto, unfortunately. Like, they try to track them for a while, but eventually they get away, so there's, like, there's a bit of a separation that happens here. So the, the two different groups um, are no, no longer connected. And Haru is more or less on her own because Muta just kind of doesn't give a fuck. Like, Muta just does whatever he wants most of the time. He's very food-driven. But they get to the Cat Kingdom. She meets Yuki there. This movie is really short. I get That's something that we didn't address earlier. So... A lot of the, quote, major characters, even though they're major characters, still don't get a ton of screen time just because the movie itself isn't long. Like, the only two characters that super get a lot of screen time are Haru and Muta, and to a lesser extent, the king. And everybody else, even Baron, who is supposed to be, like, a main character, kind of just shows up for bits and pieces of the movie. Um, despite being, like, title character, not title character, but, like, featured names and featured characters in this movie. So it's a little bit it's done a little bit strangely yeah. um, and with its character development, I guess you could call it. Now she's shrunk and she's cat sized now that she's in the cat kingdom. And she decides that she's going to play along for now while trying to find her, her way out and, and get home. But for their, these cats are very pushy and they want her to be the princess. And so they're just kind of like shoving her around and she's very timid. So she just goes along with it and they start like dressing her up in like um princess attire and there's this really fun part where she like she's like i don't want to be like rude or anything but i'm not a cat isn't that weird if i marry a cat and they're like uh, for whatever reason if a human goes to the cat kingdom they just turn into a cat well no it's kind of it reminds me a lot of the 
of the myth of Persephone um, with Hades, where she, you know, ate some pomegranate seeds and now she's stuck in the underworld for six months. Like, they start giving her stuff, and I think that's what starts to change her, possibly. It doesn't really say. It doesn't say, but the longer she's there, the more she turns into a cat. Right. They get her all dressed up, and they decide to throw, like, this ball to introduce her to the, to, uh, like, the populace of the cat kingdom. At some point, Muta, like, gets trapped in jello because like, he thinks it looks delicious and jumps in. There's this, like, huge, giant bowl of jello, and he jumps in there and gets stuck in there, and they say that he's dead, but, I mean, it's a, it's a Ghibli movie. He's not dead. <laughs> so they have this banquet. They even wheel, like, the jello into the banquet hall, so there's this, like, potentially dead cat just as a centerpiece <laughs> for this banquet. It's so bizarre. This whole movie is just charming yet strange um and they they decide that um they're gonna try to cheer up their new princess because haru is like devastated at this point in the movie she's crying and a mess because she doesn't want to be there she doesn't want to be forced into a marriage so she is crying and upset and and so they have all these people that come through and try to cheer up there's a really bizarre point at um, with this because they have like jesters and clowns and there's a knife thrower that throws knives at this like lady cat that's like tied up on this board and he like cuts her top off and then she's like she like flashes her non-cat titties because there's nothing there it's just fur but she like runs off all embarrassed and stuff it's like the weirdest like bit of adult humor in a children's movie like yeah I found that bizarre I was like um, why? When otherwise they're all just walking around totally, like, in the beginning of the movie, they all come to Haru without, like, clothes on. Yeah. Like, yeah. and, like, cats, cats notoriously have, like, you know, nipples all down the center. Yeah, like, <laughs> like a, what? A ton of them. You know, so it was weird to have that kind of joke in the movie. I was like, um, Okay. I mean, I get, I, I, I don't know. It was, I, yeah, I think like you said, it was supposed to be like some kind of adult humor because this is very much a whimsical kind of kids movie. So maybe that was supposed to be like there for like for the mom and dad. And I'm just like, did anyone think that was funny or just weird? I found it very awkward. I did not enjoy that part of the movie. But what happened immediately after is probably my favorite part of the movie because the king is very disappointed that this guy screwed up and didn't make Haru happy so he throws her out or he he throws the guy out the window like freaking the emperor's new groove like I'm sorry but you've thrown off the emperor's groove and he just like throws this guy out the window and it's I I don't know if that movie was out at the time yet because I can't remember when emperor's new groove came out but it really felt like an homage to that yeah maybe I don't know I it was it was a very very i think of all the humor in the movie that was the most slapsticky but i love that it was good slapstick like it wasn't well i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying like we just talked about how the you know like the when haru he is big when not haru he oh my god when haru is bigger than you know muta and the baron then it's kind of funny it's an understated humor this was like the most slapsticky part of the show 
Oh, The Emperor's New Groove came out in 2000, so maybe that was a reference to The Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> it might have been. Because it, it was, cause that's such a distinct part of that movie, and like a recurring gag in that movie, which becomes like a mini recurring gag in this movie. So I, I'm going to go ahead and say it was an homage. I don't know if it was or not. The The other part of the scene that I really like, um, with the attention to detail, is that they have cat representatives from all over the world. Like, you see um, cats that have traditional Middle Eastern, like, headwear the women do. Um, I know that there's a lot of different terms for the headwear, so I don't want to make any mistakes by saying the wrong thing. So I'm just going to be very general with that. Um, we also have, like, Egyptian god or not gods, Egyptian pharaohs. Cats dressed up as that. And just, like, all different kinds of nationalities and representations, like, that you would think of with cats around the world. Which was pretty interesting. Yeah, I think they also had some that were, like, in traditional, like... I, I, I could have sworn I saw, like, some traditional Chinese wear, possibly. I would have to go back. I, I'm real big into Egyptian stuff, so I was real focused on the pharaohs. <laughs> well, no, I think they had, like, possibly traditional Chinese. I know they also had... I, I, I thought it looked Polish or some kind of Germanic outfit, but it was cool. Yeah. I remember that one. It was it was really interesting that they had this like it's because it's the celebration of the their new princess. So they had people from all over the world come back in because uh, it's implied that a lot of these cats live out in the real world and then come to the cat kingdom for special events like they're not normally at the castle. So it was a really interesting little tidbit there. But um tuxedo mask shows up to help her out he says that he's gonna make her smile uh, this definitely not baron character shows up out of the blue uh after <laughs> with fingers who has been told um because the king basically after throwing two people because there was another person i don't remember he threw i can't remember who the second person was but he threw two people out the window and so now everybody's kind of scared to go up and try to make the princess smile because they're worried that they're also going to be thrown out the window. But Tuxedo Mask shows up and steps forward and says that he can by dancing with her. How Haru doesn't realize, like, I, I understand it's a trope where putting, like, a mask that only covers your eyes completely masks your identity from the general public. But how Haru doesn't realize that that's barren is just beyond me. <laughs> because it takes her so long, like... An annoyingly long amount of time to realize that this is her friend that's come to save her. So he gives her like the generic, you have to make sure you believe in yourself. If you're in the cat kingdom and you don't believe in yourself, you'll never make it home kind of speech. And he takes off the mask and she's like, oh my God, it's barren. And I'm just like, yeah, we we knew, girl, we knew. But um, once, once Baron reveals himself and just announces that he's going to be taking Haru back, to the human world a bunch of chaos ensues somebody knocks over the the glass dish that had muta in it and he breaks out and gets free and yuki kind of ushers them over to this like trap door so that they can escape one of the strangest parts in the entire movie that's weird when we're talking about a movie about a girl that turns into a cat is that they pull off their formal wear and have their regular costumes on underneath it, which Haru's kind of makes sense because they did just like pull the dress over the top of her. But Baron was wearing a whole different kind of suit. And he had another suit on underneath that suit. Like I know about dressing in layers, but that's kind of, that, that was pretty ridiculous because <laughs> they wanted, 
I know. They wanted this like final um the the climax of the movie to have their iconic outfits in it, which makes sense. But Baron had a completely different suit on, and then he just like casually tosses that aside and has his normal suit on underneath it. It was very weird. Yeah, it was bizarre. And then for Yuki to also be wearing like I don't know. Well, with Yuki, it, I think it felt when, weird. Tr- I was trying to remember, but I think when they put the dress on her, they just put the dress over her school uniform, don't they? No, that's Haru. I meant Yuki oh, the oh, white cat. Yuki. Uh, sorry. What 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 was weird about Yuki? I'm sorry. Well, no, wasn't she like? Because she originally was like in like obviously servant clothes, and then like doesn't she get like a different outfit at the end? Oh no, her she's just naked. Like she just that's has a it. bow around her neck, so she just that's <laughs> it. She just stripped down. She's like, it's naked time. Because <laughs> like, again, like, why was that girl cat earlier so upset about her top falling off if, like, most of the other cats are naked? Yes, it's... exactly. And um, then, like, uh, I, I don't know if this is... I don't remember when it comes up, but Muta is apparently a, like, bandit or something. Like, he's, like, a wanted criminal because he ate, like, a whole ocean of fish. Yeah, that's at the very end. They just okay. toss that. They toss that information in for no reason at the very end of the movie. It's so weird. It's such a strange movie. Like, why would nobody recognize him if he's this notorious criminal? How many other? I mean, I was about to say how many other big fat white cats are there? But then I'm like, I never mind. <laughs> well, they they imply that it happened a long time ago because only the king's. Uh, right hand man I, I don't think he ever got a name but only like the king's secondary person remembered it happening so I think it happened a long time ago um, I, I don't know and then the, the picture that they show of like quote Muta eating everything was like very stylistically drawn <laughs> it looked very weird so that might also be why nobody recognized him but yeah they I guess implied that that happened a long time ago they decide to have a maze, which would be interesting if we didn't have only 20 minutes left of film. <laughs> so you know that this maze is not going to be fleshed out. They're in it for all of like five minutes. Uh, there's a kind of funny scene where Muta jumps up on the ledge to try to cheat. And these guards like come and harass him because like they want you to go through the maze properly. Because if I don't, re- I don't think we said so, but if she doesn't get back to the human world by dawn, she's going to be permanently a cat. So they are on this time crunch and they don't, at first they don't think that it's that big of a deal, but then somebody mentions that it's always noon in the cat kingdom and that in the real world, it's actually like one in the morning or something like that. So they're really running out of time. It's it's, it's always the middle of the day. Yeah. So, cause cats like to lay out in the sun. So it's never, it's never dark there. It's always just midday there. And so they're running through this maze and there's a bunch of shenanigans that happen with it, but they all happen so fast that none of them are super memorable. The only thing that I really thought was funny was where uh, they have the guards with the bricks strapped to their back to make them look like walls, and they go and like block them into a spot. But they're stupid, and they do it all in a row, and so Muta like knocks one of them over, and they just kind of domino all the way to the entrance that they need to get to. So they just like power run like speed run through this maze that supposedly nobody's ever made it through but they're the main characters so you know of course they do that's the power of the protagonist 
they they get to the tower and they start climbing up it and the king at by this point is just like the most unhinged character in the entire movie and he decides that he's just going to blow up the tower and there's i mean the the three main characters were in it when it collapsed and it didn't and it didn't completely collapse it was like just the lower floors like the tower part is still standing but essentially the the reason that it needs to stay in there is because the top of this tower connects to the human world and they imply that when the tower was at full its full height it would have dropped her off somewhere safe but now it's just like open like you know super high up in the air where it's not going to be safe for her to get down but before we get to that the prince shows up and he has yuki with him yuki apparently alerted him that his dad was being a psycho bitch <laughs> and to get back as soon as possible he tells his dad that he loves Yuki and he doesn't want to marry Haru. No offense, Haru, but I love Yuki. Yuki reveals that she's the cat that that was saved towards the beginning of the movie when she was starving. So now she's technically saved both of them, like both the prince and his new fiance. And um, everything looks like it's going to be going up. But of course, the the um, the king is still unhinged so they have to deal with him this is this part really kind of disappointed me because they set it up like it was going to be a cool fight and it ends up lasting like 35 seconds like they do the classic draw the sword slash and then put the sword down and then like 10 seconds later you know the person dies only instead of dying it's just his like fur that got cut off and now he doesn't have pants or whatever like it was disappointing but we're running out of time with this movie so they had to um shuffle things along i guess yeah it was i was just gonna say it was it, it felt very rushed this final fight it felt like there was so much going on like they tried to build up the cat world so much that they did not spend any time on the conclusion really because it felt like really rushed speaking of feeling really rushed I, I, I know that he wanted Haru to marry his son, and I'm still a little confused why he... Because it's implied that the king knew that the prince was in love with Yuki. Did he just not want his son to marry a servant? I don't know, because like he had a quick heel turn there. But my headcanon for it, just trying to rationalize it... As the entire movie, he kind of like subtly flirts with Haru. So I think his intention the whole time was to have Haru be his bride the whole time. Because I think, like you said, he knew that his son wouldn't want to go through with it. And the fact that he just like on a dime turned and was like, okay, that's fine. You can marry Yuki. It's no big deal. Now I'll marry Haru. So I think that he had like a feeling that that was going to be the end result anyway. Because he kept like winking at her and smiling at her and calling her babe and just oh like, yeah that was weird yeah so i i think that that might have been his plan i wish that if that is that if that was the case they would have either leaned in harder or just explicitly you know like said it like his like right hand man said oh your plan it went exactly as you planned or something like that to give us a little bit more context but yeah, it was just, it was a very bizarre turn of events there at the end. Um, but Baron wasn't going to let that shit happen anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so they make it to the top, and she gets out there, and she finds out that now, like, she's, you know, thousands of feet in the air above the city. 
um, where the exit to the human world is. And she tries to, she tries not to fall, but she does. And so they do this like free falling thing. And um, Toto, who has been mysteriously missing for the entirety of this film from his introduction has been missing, <laughs> shows back up. Well, can you can't have a bird go to the cat world. Why not? Because he would be killed. He's a bird. I mean, he could have, I don't know. He could have been a nice bird. He seemed nice. I'm saying that cats would kill him. That cats are absolutely predators. It's fine. (laughs) Anyway, he just shows up out of nowhere with like 300 of his closest friends that act as like a staircase for her to walk down. I don't nothing in this movie makes sense it's fun and it's beautiful but nothing in this movie makes sense and they just kind of like set her down at her school on the rooftop and uh ask her if she learned her lesson and of course she has because movie and uh yeah so that that's basically the plot of the movie it's just teaching this girl to believe in herself and not to lose herself and to know exactly who she is and you know average isn't bad i I don't know i'm i'm still confused as to what lesson i'm supposed to take away from this movie because they're telling you to believe in yourself but she spent the whole movie being rescued by other people and the believe in yourself thing really didn't come into play anywhere other than them just telling her to believe in herself i think it was more about her having confidence to speak up for herself because she does at one point be like because like originally with the king she's like um i'm a cat i i'm not a cat you can't i can't marry the prince and like he just kind of blows her over and she like like is becomes very passive again but then at the end she's like no i don't want to marry him i want to go home like i think it's more less about believing in herself and more like having her own voice maybe it's very glossed over either way but um yeah it's a that's the cat returns. There's a cute little segment at the end where um, this has made her a responsible adult for some reason, I guess. I don't. This has humbled her into being a responsible adult. And like she wakes up early and decides to make plans with her friends so she doesn't waste her day off. And she's already made breakfast and she's reading the newspaper and she's made tea for her mom. And she steals Baron's line about not being able to guarantee the flavor, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, the, I mean, that's pretty much the movie. It's just a, a really quick, like, I think it's like 70 minutes long. It's not very long at all. Um, cute, fun romp through this vaguely Ghibli world. <laughs> yeah, of all the Ghibli movies I've seen, it's like borderline the least distinctive Ghibli, but it still feels like a Ghibli. I mean, this is probably my favorite Ghibli movie um for mostly nostalgic reasons which kind of ties into the reason for this podcast like is it good or is it just nostalgic and to be honest with you i'm not really sure um because i yeah i'm on the fence because it is it's cute to watch and it's a nice simple watch but at the same time (laughs) it's a weird movie it's bizarre the plot it's kind of I guess the plot itself is not very strange because I think there have been similar movies where girl is kidnapped to be the bride of a unusual groom. <laughs> the message is not entirely clear, like you said. I mean, I, I enjoy the movie. 
And it's not like it's a movie I watched a whole lot as a kid because I didn't have it on VHS or anything like that. I think I only watched it once or twice. It's it's probably the movie I've seen the least out of Ghibli. I I have this very nostalgic feeling of it because um, I grew up in a very rural area. And when I turned 21, I, I had been saving up for forever, for like three years saved up a lot of movie and I moved to a city I, I um, here in the Midwest. And one of the very first things that I did was I attended a Ghibli film festival. But because I worked really crappy hours at my minimum wage grocery job for a major grocery chain that I won't state the name of, but they're terrible and you know who they are. And <laughs> um, I was only able to go see one me and my friends could only make it to see one it was at this like high-end theater that was in the super fancy part of town it cost us 17 dollars a ticket to go see a movie that had at this point had been out for 10 years and it was the cat returns that was the only one that i could go see and i'd never seen it before outside of the sailor moon vhs tape previews um that were embedded in my brain and it just was so fantastical and interesting and it quickly became my favorite Ghibli movie because of it, it just it represented that a time in my life when everything was like rapidly changing and, and rapidly becoming exponentially better harder but better and it just holds that like really weird place in my heart because of that as an objective piece of media, it's not their best movie. There's been other movies from Ghibli and other movies from the anime realm that have completely superseded it, both with visuals and storytelling and characters every in, in every aspect. But it's just so charming. It's hard to deny how charming this movie is with its music and with its voice talent, both in English and Japanese. And with it's just it's it's characters that don't need a lot of explanation. Like there's they put so little explanation into anything in this movie, but it doesn't really feel like it needs it outside of a couple of like little points that we nitpicked earlier. So it for me, is it good or nostalgic? Probably much more nostalgic, but it's not a bad movie. I think it's a little bit of both. It's it's good and it's nostalgic. Right. So overall, mid tier. <laughs> yes, I would say solid B grade. We're we're going with a B this time. We're and I feel like after last week with um how how. How harsh we were to Tenchi, one of the most beloved shows of all time. I feel like we needed a bit of a palate cleanser. Something that was easy to watch and something that we both would have a good time watching. Nothing mind-blowing. Nothing that's going to take too much time to like psychoanalyze and deep dive into. This is just a fun movie to put on for, for really any time. The stakes aren't super high. It's not super tense. It's just a nice, relaxing fantasy film that I feel like is suitable for pretty much anybody and a good time. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree that it's it, it's not deep. It doesn't have to be deep. Not every movie has to be mind-blowing and groundbreaking. 
it's a good movie. It's a simple movie. It gets its point across in 70 minutes. It, you know, no, you don't have a huge amount of backstory or, you know, extreme levels of, you know, crazy plot or anything like that, but it's good. I mean, I, like I said, I enjoyed it and I think I would enjoy watching it again and again. Uh, so this is a good time to wrap things up before we ramble on for too long like we have a, a tendency to do. So before we head out, Nuri, where can everybody find you? Um, I know that we ask you this every episode, but this could be somebody's first time watching <laughs> or listening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Nuri Curry on Instagram. I'm also Nuri Hayu on Twitter. Follow me if you want to talk about anime especially santa moon or saint Seiya. i also do cosplay and i'm also a writer so feel free to hit me up for either of those and as always i am common writer furry i am joined pretty much every other week um with ramses and nuri uh ramses you've heard on some previous episodes if you listen to our other episodes for the cosmo cast for saint Seiya. Um, it's just a fun little thing where we watch along with episodes, sometimes movies and sometimes spinoffs, but pretty much we are just going through the episodes and we just recently got to the best arc in the show. So that is going to be fun for everybody to check out. You can follow me at Common Writer Furry. I am on um, Twitter. I'm also on Instagram, which I'm trying to use more. But again, I don't really understand Instagram very much. So I'm trying. You can follow the podcast at ancient anime pod on both of those platforms as well as well or you can email me at ancient anime pod at gmail.com if you have any episode ideas or would like to share your opinions on anything we've talked about or just your favorite ancient anime thanks for listening guys and as always i hope you have a great rest of your day bye